Okay, please turn back with me to the book of Genesis. Genesis 12. Genesis 12, verses 1 9. Okay, I heard a story a while ago, a story that I'm going to share with you just now. A family was celebrating Christmas together. So you've got uh, the mum and the dad and the daughter and the son and the daughter's, let's get this right, the daughter's boyfriend has been invited along to celebrate Christmas with them, okay? And it gets to that time uh, on Christmas Day where you've got to open the Christmas presents. So the boyfriend disappears for a second, goes through another room, and he comes back with this enormous uh, Christmas present for his girlfriend, you know, and he sets it down in front of her. And she's delighted and she rips off the, the, the wrapping paper, opens up the box, and it's just packaging. So she pushes all the packaging aside, and there's another box. And so it's weird. She rips open the box, and there's just more packaging. And she gets that way, and there's another box, and it keeps going on like this, and the boxes keep getting smaller, until eventually, way down into this massive big box, she, she opens the last box, and she finds a jewellery case. And... <laughs> Inside the jewellery case, you've guessed it, there is an engagement ring. Okay, so, very, very nice story. But what I'd you do is to, tonight, view the book of Genesis like that. Because to start with, we come to the book of Genesis, right? And we see this massive book, don't we? We see this huge, big volume of, uh, what is it, it's 50 chapters, it's a huge, huge book. But what I want us to see tonight is that, see, way down in there in this big, big book, right at its core is a diamond, right at its core, this big volume, are just a few words, just a, a couple of crucial verses, these diamonds that really open up the book, a, a couple of crucial words that provide insight into the, the the theology of the whole of the book of Genesis. And guess what? Tonight, as we come to Genesis chapter 12, we come to the diamonds. Okay? We come to the crucial, crucial words that open up the whole of the book of Genesis as we come to the call of Abram. Okay. This evening, what we'll do very simply, is look at three points. We're going to think about three aspects of the call of Abraham. So let's make a start. Let's think about the first of those. This is our first heading, and it is the cost of the call. The cost of the call. Now, if we've been brought up in the church, if we know about the Bible, then we sort of know, if we know anything about Genesis 12, we sort of think that this is a passage, a passage of scripture that's all about blessing, that, 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 that Genesis 12 is about the promises that, that God makes to Abraham, but also the promises that God makes to the whole of the world through Abraham. Okay, now, that's fine, and that's true. But before we get to those promises, I guess we've got to deal with the call itself. 
don't we? Before we get to all this blessing, you know, all those tremendous blessings that God promises Abraham, we've actually got to deal with the call that Abraham... Because look at, look at verse 1. Look how it begins. God speaks and he speaks to Abraham and he says, do you see it? Leave your country, your people, your father's household, and go to the land that I'm going to show you. Okay, so before the promises, before all the blessing, we've got this very specific call that God gives. Now, uh, here's the thing. How do you read that call? Um, how do we deal with it? Do we, do we deal with it as a sort of take it or leave it type of gentle request from God? Is that what it is? You know, uh, leave your family, go to this land. Is it almost like God saying, Abraham... Or Abraham, he, here's the deal. Um, you can stay where you are, if you, but if you go to this land, if you do that, there's going to be blessing. But you know, take it or leave it. Balls in your court. You know, it's up to you. Is, is that how we read uh, God's call to Abraham? We shouldn't, because I tell you this: that, see the language here. And the original is really. What's the word? Uncompromising language. Do you know what it's like? It's like, do you remember when you were a kid and you were playing with your toys and you'd hear your mum shout you and she would use your full name? You know? Like, Andrew! Andrew Pearson! You know, oh no, here we go! I better pay attention to this because I'm clearly in trouble. Well, well, Abraham is not, Abraham's not in trouble here. But the language here has, has still got the sort of same impact. It's very, very blunt, the, lang- the language that God uses. It's kind of, it's to the point. It all rhymes in the original, just to add to the sort of, the, the pointedness to it, the, the, the punchiness of it. So this is not just a nice, gentle, take it or leave it request. This is serious. This is God saying, this is a command. Abraham, leave and go to this new land. And, did you see what's involved here? Do you see that it's a command to leave certain valuable things behind? Three things to leave behind. You see that? What are they? In verse 1, what are the three things he has to leave behind? He's called firstly to leave behind his country. So he's called to leave behind to go on to this new place, he's called to leave behind that he knows. That, that's familiar. He's called to leave behind his land, his turf, and to go off into the complete unknown. So that's the first thing. Then he's, he's called as well to leave his people. You know, he's, he's called to leave his family and he's, he's called to leave his relatives. He's called not just to leave the land he knows, but the, the friends he knows, you know, the people that he loves and his, his kin as well. It's his land, his people. And then he's called to leave his father's household. That might not mean much to us, I don't suppose, in some ways. But in the ancient world, man alive, that means everything. This call is a call for Abraham to leave behind that that gives him his identity and his name 
and much of his security. So, so do you see the, the, the picture that's kind of building up here? We look at Genesis 12, if we know anything about our Bibles, and we see all these wonderful things and all these wonderful promises that God says that he's going to give, give to Abraham. But we've got to pay it in the background. We've got to pay attention to the call here to be blessed, to receive all of that blessing. Abraham has to give up that which he holds dear. And he has to show this new, radical, comprehensive obedience to God. Now, here's the thing. I wonder tonight, do you see how what Abraham is called to do here is also what we all as Christians are called to do, generally speaking, but also sometimes in very specific circumstances and situations in our life. Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you what I mean by that. You see, here Abraham is, is called to demonstrate this sort of thorough loyalty to God, isn't he? In this call. But it is loyalty at a cost. And is that not exactly what we are called called to when we when a saving work is done in our hearts? Loyalty at a cost. Jesus says, anyone who does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. That when we become Christians, that the call we receive from God is that call to sort of dramatic and radical obedience. But the call that we receive, the call that you've received, if you're a Christian tonight, is also a call that's going to involve a lot of self-denial and a huge amount of cost to yourself. And you also see that, okay, that's, that's the sort of way of, the general way of Christian existence. But that is how it might be at certain specific points in your life as a Christian as well. That not only do we hear God's saving call, but let's face it, sometimes in our life, we may also hear a very, very specific call from God. That There might be a specific call, like there was for, for Abraham, a call to go somewhere for God. Or a call to do something particular for God. And you see at those times too, those things will also involve a very, very significant cost. See, we might be called by God to settle somewhere that we do not call home. We might be called by God to leave our family and leave our friends behind and pursue something else for him. We might be called to foreign mission. Do we think about that? A call that will involve going out into the unknown. We might also be called by God to give up our current job and to pursue another job that frees up time to spend with family, with the church. A call that might involve giving up some of that material security. Calls from God that invariably 
involve cost. You see, what I would say to you tonight is, if in your life just now you are hearing the call of God, now that might be that you are wrestling just now with this, this, this call that God seems to be working in your life and calling you to salvation, calling you to repent of your sin. It might be tonight you are wrestling with a more specific call as a Christian. God is calling you to something certain. Then see in both of those things that regardless of God's call, it is always better to be obedient to God. Because what Abraham could see here is that God's riches, they always, always outweigh the cost of following him. The riches always outweigh the cost of following God. So the cost of the call. Secondly, let's think about the, the, the promises of the call. Okay, so I guess this is the bit where we're like that girlfriend and we get down right into the sort of the, the bottom of the box and we've moved away all the package and we get down to the, the, this jewellery case. Because here the second point is where uh, we come to the diamonds of the book of Genesis. These promises that are at the centre of the theology of the book. Okay. There are five promises that God makes here. So, we could deal with these things we could, in any number of ways. We, we, we could group them. But here's what I suggest we do. We've got five of them. So let's, what I'll do just now is I'm just going to go through each of these promises one by one. I'm just going to say a very, very brief word about each. So you're going to have to stick with me. We're going to have to put our brains into gear. There's five promises that God makes to Abram. You ready to follow me? Let's go for them. Notice what we've got first of all is an implied promise in verse 1. See, it's subtle. So if your Bibles are open, you're going to have to Pay attention. See if you get it. God says in verse 1, Leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land that I will show you. So I wonder, do you see the implication there? Do you see what's implied? God's really saying to Abram there, You leave, you go to this land, and I will give you the land. It's subtle, I grant you, but there is an implied promise of land. A promise of land. Secondly, there's this promise that Abram will be made into, do you see it, into a great nation. So let's think about that. Abram into a great nation. Now that is not just the promise that Abram's going to have lots and lots of, of kids, okay? That's not just the promise that this man is going to have a huge big offspring. Because that's not what God says. God says, I will make you into a great nation. A nation. So it's a promise that not just that Abram's going to have lots and lots of children, but it's a promise that these children are going to get together. They're going to be a people. It's a promise that they're going to be a nation, a nation with all the components that that suggests. This is going to be a people with a common language. 
and a common land and a common government and authority and so on. So it's a great nation. But surely you're thinking what I'm thinking. I mean, you know, if, we, if we just come to this tonight as a one-off sermon, okay? Um, if I was a visiting preacher here and I picked up in Genesis 12 and we'd read through it and we see, okay, Abraham's going to be turned into a great nation. We think, oh, that's nice. That's a nice promise. That's great. A, nice, a great nation from Abraham. That's wonderful. But it's not a one-off sermon. And last week we looked at Genesis 11. And what did we see in Genesis 11? What do we know? We know that what this promise is, the promise of a great nation, is the promise of the seemingly impossible. Isn't it? Because we know that Abraham thought at this point that his wife, Sarai, was barren. So it is the promise of land, but the promise the seemingly impossible, the promise of a great nation. Thirdly, God promises to make Abram's name great. Make your name great. Now that is not just the, the sort of an anticipation or a pointer to that sort of moment of divine deed pole where uh, God changes Abram's name to Abraham. Okay, it's, it's not just that, is it? I will make your name great. There's more to it, isn't there? This is the promise that for future generations, for years to come, this name, Abram, is, is going to be, is going to be a name, it's a great name, it's going to be a name that is re, going to be revered. And surely as we look around our, our, our world today, 21st century, and we think about the religious makeup of our world, the name Abram will be great. Surely we see that this is a promise that has clearly been fulfilled so land new land great nation great name fourthly almost strangely we see the the promise of a special relationship between abram and god do you see if your bible's open you see the first few words of verse three because they are remarkable words God says to this man, I will bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, I will curse. Now that is, a, I suppose in some ways, it's a familiar saying because it's a phrase that we hear elsewhere in the Bible. But it's never a phrase that we hear like this. Never where God is speaking in the first person like this. This is an incredible promise. An incredible promise of a very intimate relationship between God and this man, Abram. And then we get to the Tchaikovsky 1812 moment, you know? The end where the sort of fireworks go off and the, the, the symbols clash and there's this just, you know, chaos at the end. Because we get to the, the big climax of the whole thing. We, we get through all these promises, and then we get to the fifth and last promise. And all these promises have been building up and building up, and here they get to that apex, that point. Because it says here, 
lastly, that God will bless all the peoples of the earth through this man. God promises that this man, Abram, is going to be the mediator of all God's goodness that he's going to pour over the peoples and the families and the, the tribes and the nations of the earth. That this is going to come somehow through this man, this mediator, Abram. What a promise. What a promise to end with. Now this is the important point. I've rushed over all of those. And there's loads that can be said about those promises. But I wanted us to come to this point. In this aspect here. Because do you see in these promises how determined God is to bless mankind. You need to follow me here, okay? See what God is doing here. Because you see, in just two verses, what God is doing is he is turning all the darkness and all of the agony and all of the misery of the previous 11 chapters of Genesis and he's taking that, he's twisting it and turning it on his head. Because do you see what he's doing? He is taking the motifs and the themes and the problems of the first part of Genesis. He is condensing them down and he is turning those things into blessing for mankind. So think about this, okay? What we've got here are all those problems with the nations. You know, the table of nations. You know, the scattering of all the people throughout the earth in Genesis 11. We've got that now turned to this promise that through Abraham is going to come one true and great nation. We've got, next one, we've got the pride. Remember the pride of man at the Tower of Babel. Do you remember what Babel was all about? Everyone said, yeah, building a tower. We know that. They built a city, they built a tower. Do you remember why? What did they want for themselves? They wanted a great name, didn't they? And now look at this. God turns that into the, to this promise of a divinely sanctioned great name for, for Abraham. It only comes from God. Then we've got the five awful curses of the first 11 chapters of the book. Remember the curse on the soil and the curse on the serpent and the curse on Cain and the curse on mankind before the flood and the curse on Noah's sons. We've got all these curses and, and God takes them and he condenses them down. What do we have here? We've got this wonderful five-fold repetition of the word bless. You see, God's purpose is he takes cursing and he turns them and he turns them into blessing. You see, we're, we're so foolish sometimes. We, as Christians even, we think that God is just this, this wicked tyrant, you know, this sort of judgmental God, a God that's got to be appeased. And we think, oh, we've got to do this, we've got to do this, we've got to do this to, to please God. But the first 11 chapters of Genesis say that's us. That's the problem. 
It tells us that it's, it's man, humanity, that has ruined everything. We've ruined the world. We've ruined ourselves. Ruined mankind. And then here, in chapter 12, what do we see? We see that God is a God of love. We see that God is not finished with us. He's not. We see that he is determined to go back to Genesis chapter 1 and to his original intention with mankind. God intends to bless humanity. That's what we see in Genesis chapter 12. So the cost of the, 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 the call and the promises of the call. Thirdly, and lastly, um, let's think about the obedience to the call. Okay? The obedience to the call. I don't know if you've come across them on your travels at all, but in our house we've certainly got quite a few Ian Rankin novels. Okay. Now, they appeal to, to us largely because of where they're situated. These are sort of detective novels that are set in Edinburgh in Scotland. Now, I should say that I am not recommending them as a sort of high point of literature. They are not that. Uh, but they are good books because they're sort of edge of the seat stuff, you know? You're, you're reading them and you are wondering how things are going to pan out, how things are going to happen for, for the main, main character. And I guess that is, that can be said of Genesis chapter 12 to some extent, can't it? And, you know, we, we see the command that God gives to Abram and we see the blessing that will be Abram's if he adheres to this command. And even though we kind of know what's going to happen, when we read chapter 12, after the blessings, we're still wondering, what's what's he going to do? You know? Is he going to go? Is he going to listen? Is he going to obey? And do you see what happens in verse 4? Just three words. How does it pan out? You know, unlike us, so often when we hear the call of God, Abram does not say, thanks God, I will wait until you give me more assurance. And he doesn't say, thanks God for that call, I'll wait a couple of years just to make sure that you've called me. He doesn't say that. Look what he says, verse 4, or what it says in verse 4, so Abram left. He There wasn't any debate about this. There wasn't any questioning about it. Immediately, Abram obeyed the command of God. Now, this this is the point that I want us to finish with and close with. Okay, please hear this if you get anything. Do you see here how obedience to God leads to a closer relationship with God? Obedience to God leads to a closer walk, closer relationship with God. I'll, see, I'll show you what I mean. Look, 
Abraham gets up. He's got this command from God. He gets up and he gets his stuff together and he gets his people together and his stuff and he travels and he goes to Canaan and look what happens when he arrives. It's in verse 7. We're told again, God has spoken to him before. We're told again in verse 7 that God again speaks to Abram. But notice something with me. He doesn't speak to Abram as he did before. Do you see what we're told? The Lord appeared to Abram. For the first recorded time in the whole of the Bible, there's a theophany. For the first recorded time in the Bible, God appears like this to a patriarch. That because he was obedient, because he he obeyed, Abraham's experience of God is much more rich, isn't it? And then notice what what God actually says to Abraham, because it gets better. Do you remember, cast your mind back a moment ago, do you remember the subtle promise? Verse 1. Do you remember that sort of vague, perhaps even just hinted at promise? Well, look now. It's made firm. It is made sure. God meets, appears to Abraham, and he says, I will give you this land. It's categorical. It's clear. The obedience leads not just to a, a, a richer experience of God, but it also... Obedience leads to a deepening understanding of God's promises. Deepening understanding of his promises. And I'll tell you this, that's only going to increase. Because you know what happens here? There's this vague promise from God. Abraham obeys. That becomes categorical. I will give you this land. Then you know what happens? Because Abraham's obedient in the next chapter, that promise then becomes, I will give you this land forever. And then what happens? In chapter 17, it finally becomes, because of Abraham's obedience, I will give all of this land to all of your people forevermore. See it? Obedience to God, it leads to a deepening understanding of promises. Obedience to God, it leads to a closer relationship with God. Now, okay, as we look at these promises in Genesis 12 tonight, I suppose you could say that we see these things partly fulfilled We see them partly fulfilled, would you not say, in the conquering of the promised land? And we could say, okay, we see some of these promises, they are partly fulfilled, you know, the great nation, we can see them partly fulfilled in the establishment of the people of Israel, couldn't we? That's true. It's right. Here's the thing. Were you at church three weeks ago? In the morning. Are you? Do you remember the sermon that Peter gave in Acts chapter 3? To all those people that came to him because they were attracted by the, the crippled beggar? Remember that? 
Do you remember the Jewish presentation of the gospel? Remember it? If you do, you'll maybe also remember what Peter said about these verses here. About what Peter said about that climactic promise that God gave Abraham. Because Peter said that that promise, the blessing would come to to all the peoples of the world through Abraham. Peter said that that was ultimately fulfilled in Jesus Christ. That it was ultimately fulfilled in the one who would emerge from Abraham's race and who would die on the cross for the sins of mankind. Friends, when we think about that, when we think about God's blessing of mankind through Jesus Christ, it should surely make us want to do what Abraham does here. He goes to Canaan. What does he do repeatedly? He builds altars. We should want to. When we see what God has done through Christ, we should want to worship God. But surely we should also want to live lives of obedience to Jesus Christ so that we can experience a deeper relationship with our Savior. Tonight we thank God, don't we, for these wonderful promises he's made to Abraham. But we also thank God for the true mediator of blessing to mankind. We thank him for his son, Jesus Christ. Let's pray.